You're listening to the Case Law Show podcast presented by Diane Russell LLP and Templeman LLP. On today's episode, we have Kevin Cook from Templeman, and he provides a great keynote presentation about the decision from the Ontario Court of Appeal with respect to surveillance. Please enjoy this episode of the Case Law Podcast, and Kevin will be on the podcast next month to discuss this keynote presentation. Don't forget, on March 12th, Leafs are playing the Nashville Predators, and if you want a pair of the tickets, email Kieran at Doherty664.com and try and be on our trivia show, which is happening at the end of this month. Thanks so much, and we will talk to you soon. So again, my name's Kevin Cook. I'm a lawyer in Kingston. I've been practicing in the insurance defense area for about uh, almost uh, five years now, and I'm starting to branch out and trying to get to meet some people in the local insurance uh, community. So thank you all for coming out today. I appreciate it. So we'll walk through naturally what happens. Let's say that you, uh, you have a claim and you, you hired Jason's firm to, to conduct, whether it be open source investigations and like we just heard about or some just some regular old-fashioned sitting in a car and following people around kind of uh, surveillance. Uh, what does that look like at trial? That's where I come in. So there was a recent decision. Now, now when I agreed to, to do this talk today, I, I wanted to look at a, a whole host of the new, uh, most recent decisions that have been released by courts on, on how surveillance is being treated. Initially, I had a presentation that was uh, quite long and referenced to s- uh, several other decisions. I put a couple at the back. Uh, in any event, I wanted to, to focus on uh, the Nemchin decision, which is a relatively recent decision. And if anyone uh, here is familiar with it, it was only released by the Court of Appeal in Ontario on July 31st, 2019. So it's relatively new. Uh, And I think there's some positives that can be taken out of the decision. Uh, We can talk about it a little more at length. And uh, also I thought maybe at the the conclusion of this this chat on on the Nemshin decision, I could open up for questions just if you had any particular queries about my experience with surveillance and how it's treated by the courts or any uh, litigation war stories that I can do, of course, keeping the, the, uh, the private interests of my clients uh, in mind as I deliver those war stories. I'm, I'd be happy to share some, some of my experiences. I think that gives a nice segue into Nemption. So we'll just turn to that first page. So as I said, this was a decision that was released uh, just this, uh, this past summer on July 31st, 2019. It was a jury trial decision. Uh, it involved a motor vehicle accident. Ms. Nemshin was, was turning left at a light, I believe. Again, I can edit this on the podcast afterwards if, I, if she was turning right. And she was struck by an individual by the name of Ms. Green. Ultimately, what uh, there, were, there were a lot of injuries that, that the plaintiff alleged, but one of the issues, uh, the big issues at trial was the diagnosis of PTSD. And causation was a live issue at trial. <clears throat> And what that was looking at was what caused this PTSD. So this, uh, this case provides some guidance for, for lawyers and adjusters and, and people who are involved in this type of uh, business about the use of surveillance and trial and when it will be ad- admitted. It also sort of draws a line as to when you should be using surveillance for the purposes of impeaching a plaintiff as opposed to just using it for the substantive purposes of showing what their level of function is. Uh, there's an, a case called Brown and Dunn, uh, and this case also addresses that issue. And largely what that case stands for is the principle that it, it upholds trial fairness. And if I can summarize that in a very brief way, it's that if a plaintiff 
gives their evidence in chief. You can't turn around and bring something up that they haven't been able to address in, in, in chief later on. So you have to put a suggestion to them. You anticipate certain evidence brought out uh, later in the trial. You have to put that to them and give them the opportunity to respond. That sort of weaves in with the idea of surveillance and whether you want to impeach a, a plaintiff at a trial. There was also a Facebook social media element to this, uh, to this decision as well, which we'll get to. I've highlighted a couple of the facts already. Again, uh, this was a, a jury trial. The issue uh, largely that dealt with the surveillance was uh, the PTSD and whether it resulted from the car accident or whether it was the result of uh, historical sexual assault of the plaintiff. So at trial, and this is ultimately what became the issue at the Court of Appeal, was that there were three separate rounds of surveillance that were taken of the plaintiff at three different times, and they were spread out over the course of a year. For reasons unknown and not really addressed in the Court of Appeal decision, two of those uh, surveillance efforts were disclosed, and one was not disclosed, the most recent one, uh, due to what the Court of Appeal describes as inadvertence. Um, I'll touch on the social media as well. The plaintiff apparently had a Facebook account, shut it down. One of the undertakings that was given at, I presumably at Discovery, was that they would open up, the plaintiff would open up her Facebook account and allow uh, the defense to go in and sort of search what her posts were, uh, provided that whatever they were able to extract, they provided to the plaintiff. Well, from my reading of the Court of Appeal decision, it sounds like the first part happened, the second part didn't. And those social media posts that they extracted from the opened up account were never actually provided to the plaintiff. I have some thoughts on that, but we'll wait for uh, page eight or nine of this uh, the slideshow to, to get to that. In the end, what happened at trial was the trial judge took a blanket approach to considering these, the surveillance. All three surveillance efforts and reports were excluded from, from admissibility at trial. All Facebook posts were excluded from admissibility at trial. And what ended up happening was the jury ended up uh, awarding the plaintiff $700,000 in damages. The defense appealed alleging that the exclusion of the surveillance in the Facebook posts uh, was incorrect at law, and what they were seeking uh, from the Court of Appeal was uh, that finding, but also the, decla the declaration that there should be a new trial as a result of the uh, manifest unfairness of the exclusion of that evidence. I can tell you now, I can just tell you what ultimately happens, because really I think the focus of this presentation is how the Court of Appeal made some commentary about the, the admissibility of surveillance. What happens is that the, the Court of Appeal actually finds in favor of the appellant and saying that yes, the blanket approach of excluding the, the surveillance evidence was incorrect. It should have been admitted at least in part. What they have to look at uh, requesting, the relief of, a new, uh, of requesting a new trial is an extreme uh, request of the court. And what they ended up finding was that the the jury was so persuaded of the plaintiff's injuries that they didn't think that the exclusion of the surveillance ultimately would have made a difference in the jury award. So there were some, uh, I, I believe I've read in some articles in the description of this, uh, of this case that it was a hollow victory, but I think you need to look at what the Court of Appeal is saying about admissibility of, of surveillance uh, on the whole and take that and move it forward in terms of our approach to trial and, and admissibility of surveillance uh, evidence moving forward. So we'll move to the next page. <clears throat> so the legal uh, test uh, derived from Nemtion, that's the, the title of the, the, the page that we're on now in the, 
presentation. So Nemshin upholds the uh, most recent application of the 2015 Court of Appeal decision, which is the, and I always uh, say this name wrong, the Ayanarella decision. The, the, the court in, in Nemchin uh, reiterates what the, the primary pr uh, function of admissibility or the primary function of the trial judge in determining admissibility is at trial. So when uh, you come to pass at trial, when it's time to, to get uh, surveillance uh, evidence uh, admitted, we have what's called a voir dire, which is the best way to describe it in layman's terms is a trial within a trial. So the judge has a two-pronged function when they're looking at this as per the IRLA test. What they're first looking at is whether the videographer or the person who took the surveillance is able to examine the video or photographs and present a fair and accurate depiction of what the surveillance is to be admitted into evidence. The second purpose is to be considered during this forward year is for the trial judge to look at what the uh, surveillance video will actually communicate and whether that impairs the possibility of a fair trial. Those are ultimately what factors that the trial judge is going to be looking at during the course of this forward year. Broadly speaking, turning to the next page now, the courts find, and this is, this is in a recent decision, that video evidence is very compelling and it can be persuasive on a jury. They recognize the power of hearing something from a witness and then actually seeing something else uh, on video or in a photograph. So that's sort of the gatekeeping function that they're doing during the, uh, the voir dire. The purposes or the use of surveillance evidence at trial, there's two primary purposes. There's to impeach, but there's also to use it for substantive purposes. The court in Nemchin goes on a very interesting description here on, on how the trial judge should be considering uh, the exact nature of, of, uh, of the evidence that's intended to be admitted. And they describe a continuum. So on one end of the continuum, you have uh, impeachment purposes. What this, this evidence is used to impeach the credibility of the witness. So it would be in a situation, in an extreme situation, where you have a plaintiff saying, I can't walk more than five kilometers ever. And then you have video evidence of them walking five kilometers. And that's uh, evidence is being introduced to, to counteract an exact statement being made by, the, by the, uh, the witness or the plaintiff in this case. On the opposite end of the continuum, you have, uh, and I'm sure we've all heard this at Discoveries, oh, I can do that, but only on a good day. So it's, it's situations where a plaintiff is saying, okay, um, I can lift 10 pounds, but uh, only on my best day can I do that. So the, the evidence would show them uh, lifting 10 pounds, but then they can speak to it, and it's not necessarily to impeach credibility. It's about showing what their level of function is and letting that stand. And what the trial judge has to do during this, uh, this voir dire is figure out where on this continuum, on both ends of the extreme of this continuum, uh, is the intended evidence trying to be admitted. Where does that fall? The, uh, moving to the next page of the presentation, uh, the other interesting aspect that comes from this decision is the granular approach. And it's not my words, it's the, the words of the Honorable uh, Court of Appeal judge who delivered the decision. All evidence that's intended to be admitted at trial um, from a surveillance perspective should be looked at in a granular fashion, i.e. we're not looking at the entire 30 minutes video of the person walking about the street and then going to the gym and then doing all these yoga poses. That's, that's what the, the issue was in, in Nemchin. It was, uh, uh, this lady was uh, investigated and there was some video of her at a yoga retreat. So that's what they wanted to put to the jury and ultimately it was, uh, it was, it was turfed. You have to look at specific 
photograph specific sections of the video and each one of those needs to be considered independent of one another. What comes out of this and what the takeaway from this is that um, when you're trying to get surveillance evidence in at trial, you should be focused on limited portions of the investigation. You shouldn't be seeking, you, just the, way, uh, the same way that the, the trial judge took a blanket approach to all surveillance and excluding it, as defense counsel, you shouldn't be taking a blanket approach and trying to get it all in. Focusing on specific aspects of the surveillance that you think are the most credible to your case are the, uh, is the best way of trying to convince the judge about the admissibility of that evidence. So that's what they're talking about with the granular. And I think what they mean is that they want each, each, uh, each portion of the surveillance that's supposed to be introduced should be taken in a, not a grain of salt, but like it's its own grain and considered independent of one another. Couldn't it be taken out of context at that point? It could, and I think that would come up in the voir dire, right? It's the, uh, it's the job of the plaintiff lawyer at that point to say, well, Your Honor, I think you need to look at the, the 30 seconds of the video prior to this where, yes, the, the plaintiff's doing the, the yoga pose, but they hobbled to the, to the yoga studio, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's where ultimately it comes up in the voir dire, and it's the job of, of both lawyers to know the entirety of the surveillance and be able to make their case. It's a huge balancing It is, it is, and that's, that's what comes out of this uh, in the end is that defense lawyers need to be more particular and more precise about what they're trying to get in. The end thing consideration they're concerned with in, in making their, their final decision on the admissibility of this evidence is the, the trial fairness. So I jumped ahead a bit of myself here and uh, already talked about the continuum. It still applies and this is all uh, factors and considerations that are going to be uh, taken into account by the trial judge during the course of the voir dire. Uh, the other thing that I'd mentioned in this respect is the reason why uh, the surveillance was not admitted in the Nemption decision was because two of the reports were disclosed um, at, at an early stage well before trial. So this is the other big takeaway from this case, is that if you're going to be relying on, on surveillance and video and photographs at trial, it should be disclosed within a reasonable time frame. I would be uh, speculating on the exact timelines, but this, the, the third surveillance effort taken by the defense in this case was, uh, was served less than 100 days before trial, I believe. I'd, if I'm wrong on that, we'll edit that out of the podcast. It was, uh, it was served very close to trial. We'll use that. The, the court was, in the end, very concerned about the plaintiff being taken by surprise, and that they thought that impacted the trial, uh, the trial fairness on, on behalf of the plaintiff. The takeaway from that is that, and the reason why the Court of Appeal in the end decided that they should, the, the first two rounds that were properly disclosed shouldn't have been excluded is that the trial judge just took a blanket approach. So you have to be considering how, yeah? How can a plaintiff be taken by surprise of something they did? Well, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> they shouldn't be, is the, is, is the end answer. They shouldn't be taken by surprise. It should be plain and obvious to them. Uh, it should speak to the credibility, but I think the the approach that the plaint that the judge took in the trial decision speaks volumes as to the protections that will be afforded to plaintiffs um, at trial. Right? They need to be prepared to get to deliver their evidence. Yeah. yeah. Surprise you found out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you mean you were following me? Yeah. Yeah. It's a fair point, and that's in the end uh, the the point I'm going to make about the social media, and I'll jump ahead of myself again is that in this case, the, the Facebook posts weren't disclosed to the, to the plaintiff before trial, but she was the author of these Facebook posts, right? Like, how can you be taken by surprise? But in the end, what the court found was because they agreed to disclose them and they didn't, 
they were not admitted as, as evidence at trial because it took her by surprise. I mean, how can you be the author of something, right? So it was more they disallowed them more about the disagree or their agreement to do so and failed to do so. Exactly. As opposed to what they actually showed. Exactly. Okay. So the, 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 the hallmark takeaway from this is that if you're going to be relying on whether it's social media or whether it's going to be investigative uh, efforts, surveillance efforts, disclose it in a reasonable time frame because that uh, eliminates any perception of trial unfairness on the part of the plaintiff. The Nemshin decision, I'm now at the, the top of the page, says blanket attack on surveillance. They talked a little bit in this decision as well about the timing of motions to uh, have admit, uh, evidence excluded. And this is another consideration uh, when you're trying to get evidence admitted, you need to take into account. They cited one example where the plaintiff, plaintiff's lawyer had access to all surveillance reports in advance of trial and brought a preemptive motion to try and exclude it all. The judge quite correctly in the, the Court of Appeal endorsed this uh, perspective in the Nemshi decision said that's the blanket approach by the plaintiff in that situation was not appropriate and they left open the opportunity for the plaintiff to advance particular uh, motions for exclusion during the course of the trial but to just blanket try and have it all excluded initially was not appropriate in the circumstances. The Nemshi decision does give some guidance to lawyers and, uh, and people advancing these cases through to trial about when it's important to bring these, these types of motions and resisting them in the circumstances. Ultimately, what they want to say is you shouldn't take a blanket approach to admis admitting surveillance and uh, social media evidence, whether you're on the defense side or the plaintiff's side. It should be taken in a piece, uh, piece by piece, grain by grain, if you will, uh, basis the way they're, they're recommending. The next page is on social media, and, and, and I've touched on this already, but uh, what happened was these posts that were agreed to be produced uh, weren't produced. Again, the, the way the, the Court of Appeal decision describes it is it was through inadvertence. With that said, it's difficult to really wrap your head around how the plaintiff might be taken by surprise. Uh, you can make certain inferences as well, at least I do, uh, as to why that Facebook account was deactivated and then only reactivated by uh, defense counsel request, but these, these social media posts weren't provided and as a result uh, were not admitted into evidence. What the Court of Appeal said was they were excluded from evidence properly if only because uh, of the agreement between the lawyers, not because of any other reasons. <clears throat> so the takeaways really uh, disclose your, your surveillance in a timely fashion because you want to uh, avoid this perception of trial unfairness. When I say uh, timely, I, I don't necessarily mean uh, the second that it arrives in your inbox and you receive your, your report from your, your lawyer about what the, the, the results of the surveillance are, and there's certain strategic reasons to, to hold on to it for certain, but if you see yourself trending towards trial and you think that there's a reason to disclose it, whether you want to impeach the credibility of the witness or, uh, or use it for substantive purposes, there are various reasons why you might consider disclosing it at, at, at an early stage. Uh, and then if you're trying to get certain aspects of, of surveillance admitted at trial, consider what your strongest points are, what your strongest aspects of those surveillance are, and focus on getting those in as opposed to trying to get the 45-minute video of uh, the person walking to the yoga retreat uh, into, the, uh, into, into evidence at trial. I had some other cases on the back, but if there's any specific questions that you had about this decision, again, it's a, it's a new one. We'll see how it's treated in the, uh, in the months and years ahead. 
but if you had any specific questions about this decision or any just specific uh, questions about my experiences with surveillance, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to discuss and open up the floor. So I have a question about the surveillance. So Kevin, should you disclose the entire package but ask them to only focus on sections one and two or a certain time frame? So there's no misconception or taking it out of context. You provide them the whole thing, but ask them just to look at that section for its veracity. So the Court of Appeal is, 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 doesn't go into that much depth, and I imagine this is where we're going to see this, this case sort of evolve and what their, their findings are in this decision sort of manifest themselves, right? There is a certain strategic aspect to it that you might provide it to them and say, well, you, you figure out what you think is the most damaging to your case, right? Uh, well, I'm just wondering, if you are yeah. providing the guy digging a hole, but then they say, oh, five minutes later he was lying on the ground in agony, yeah. you didn't provide that part, yeah. will you be seen as, you know, just, you know, kind of shifting, the, you know, like, it just, it's going to come off wrong, right? Yeah. So, do you provide the whole thing and only ask them to look at that portion, or do you ask them to look at it all and just assume that portions that are appropriate, right? Yeah, I think you have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis, right? I mean, I would err on the side of providing, again, case-by-case. -case. Uh, you have to look at, at what the, the court's ultimately going to say and how that would reflect on you if uh, the plaintiff who that is the subject of that surveillance in the end says, yeah, I, I dug that hole, but they, they should have they been there five minutes later when I was writhing on the ground in agony, right? Yeah. So, so uh, how would that come across when you're trying to get that into, into evidence. And I, I think that could be a, a determinative, in the, in the example you provided, determinative in, in the voir dire as to whether it gets admitted, right? Yeah. So, any other questions? Did the award stand of 700,000? Yeah, so what they ended up finding was that because it was so overwhelming, the 700,000, they thought that seeing the, the surveillance, they, they thought that the, the video of her at the yoga tree should have been put to the jury. But they said because it was so overwhelming, they didn't think that, that it would have had a, a, a big effect. The video was yeah. so overwhelming? No, no, no. The, the award was so overwhelming that they just really liked this play. You know, it's, it's sort of one of those things. It, it, it's kind of a, like a, you can play the what-if game. Sure. Right? So uh, I think the, the, the good part of this for the defense bar is certainly uh, the comments they're making about you can't take this blanket. You can't say, oh, I want this whole report excluded. You can't do that. You can't do it at a, on a preemptive basis. It has to be, it has to be considered on a case-by-case, section-by-section basis. And did they do a voir dire on this with the surveillance? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, judge, the judge excluded all surveillance and all Facebook posts. Did he interview the, did he interview the investigator? You know? I don't. I, I haven't read the trial decision on. Uh, there's likely a voir dire decision as well, right? They released the voir dire decisions as well. I don't. I think they were more. I mean, ultimately, why it was why it was uh, not admitted was because of the disclosure, right? They didn't, they didn't disclose one of them, so they could have found the. I don't think they find people like Jason generally uh, biased or or, uh, or non credible. It's usually the other aspect of it, the, the trial fairness of, of the of the gatekeeping test, so to speak. Any other questions? Well, thank you very much for coming out. I appreciate it. And if uh, you have any questions afterwards, please let me know. It was nice to meet everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Case Law Show podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and can't thank Templeman LLP and Diane Russell LLP enough for helping us put it all together. We will be back next week with another podcast, and please email Karen at Doherty664 if you'd like to be on the OIAA Trivia Show.